Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I am privileged after six years and 330 plus episodes aired and another couple dozen taped ready for the queue to continue to be privileged to sit in this chair and interview different thought leaders, best-selling authors, business titans, creators, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, people that have achieved great fame and influence and perhaps some that have suffered in some cases, unspeakable tragedy and life lessons and have the resiliency and the stamina and the perseverance to come and the vulnerability to talk about what they've learned so that you can become a better leader. This is what Franklin Covey's mission and purpose is about, is helping people achieve their own great purposes, whether you are a formal leader, you're an informal leader, perhaps you are a full-time stay-at-home parent or caregiver, maybe you're retired, perhaps you're on the rise early in your career, this podcast is really intended to be an investment in you on Tuesdays and Fridays to showcase and highlight the expertise from all of our guests. Today, I am delighted to interview the author of the book, Passion Struck, 12 Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life, a remarkable background from the US military to the CEO of Fortune Companies, C-suite roles all around those types of organizations, an entrepreneur, highs and lows, best-selling author. I love the title of this book, Passion Struck, that John Miles has written. Today, we're going to have a broad-ranging conversation on what it means to be passion struck. How do you reinvent yourself? How do you find the connection between your inner voice and your calling? How do you nurture and not burn out on your passions? I think for those of you like me that do your best to bring your all to, your, to the many roles you have in life. You'll find today's conversation to be a, um, a booster shot, an inoculation against burnout. John Miles, welcome to On Leadership. Man, Scott, I am so honored to be here. It's one of my favorite shows, and it is just incredible to be here and be speaking with your audience. So thank you so much. John, the honor is ours. We are happy to take what is Franklin Covey's spotlight and shine it onto the work of passionate leaders like yourself. Your book is very vulnerable. You talk about a lot of the highs and the lows and the insights you learned. In some cases, you and I have had some similar journeys. You also, as an author, host a podcast where you have had access to interviewing remarkable influencers from around the world. John, will you take a few moments? We'll talk a lot about the insights in your book, Passion Struck, but you've had a really varied career. Would you indulge me and entertain our listeners and viewers today by walking through us some of the highlights of your career because lots of highs and some lows, some disappointments and some, some check boxes you know, accomplished as well. Take a few minutes and reorient yourself and your career to all of our listeners and viewers around the world. Yeah, thanks for that, Scott. I think my career really started with the fundamental choice of deciding where I was going to go to college. Uh, everyone in my family went to the University of Michigan. I grew up loving the University of Michigan. So thankful we won the national championship. But I had always been fascinated with what we're talking about here today, leadership. It is something that ever since I could remember, I wanted to learn how I could become the best leader. And so when I had the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy, it just made perfect sense uh, for me to do so because I considered it to be one of the best leadership academies on the planet. And that, along with following in the footsteps of my father and my grandfather, who also served 
uh, was really this commitment to giving back to this great country that we live in. And so that was a fundamental decision that led me on this journey to becoming the leader I am today. And similar to what you said, uh, my career did take a couple turns that were unexpected. The first one was when I came out of the military, I actually came out to pursue a career as being an FBI agent. And unfortunately for me, this was during uh, the Clinton administration where Congress was having the first budget fiasco, similar to what we're seeing now, but it had a lifetime effect on me because my class got recycled and I really had no plan B and was forced to quickly make some adjustments because it turns out that class didn't come around again until three years later and my life had moved on. But I ended up taking a position with Booz Allen and ironically, the first customer I served was the FBI. I, mean, I can't make these things up. And I spent a number of years with Booz Allen, loved it. Uh, their no stones turned approach and everything else that they offered was such a solid foundation. I then took my journey to Arthur Anderson where I was a practice director and I led the cybersecurity practice for the Southwest region. And I was based in Houston. And little did I know that six, seven years after that point where I had this major reinvention that happened because of the FBI, another one would present itself when overnight my book of business with the fall of Enron and the collapse of the company went from millions of dollars in bookings to literally nothing. And it was at that point that I really chose to pivot my career and to go into industry. And I started out with a company called Lendlease where I was the chief information security officer, the first one that they had ever had. It's a company based in Australia at the time, about 15 billion worth of revenue. But from there, my life took me to uh, then going to Lowe's and cleaning up the largest hacking incident that had ever happened. Um, I ended up uh, leaving there as the head of uh, data for them. And I ended up leaving because I had the opportunity to join Dell as a CIO. I uh, spent my time at Dell and then pivoted into private equity where I spent the next seven, eight years of my career as an operating partner and then in C-level roles, uh, mostly COO or CEO of portfolio companies. Um, and during that path, I kind of had an enlightening, enlightening uh, experience that happened to me that has led to what I'm doing today with PassionStruck. John, we're gonna focus a lot today on intentionality, what that means to sort of live a purpose-driven life. Why did you title your book? Why did you write a book titled PassionStruck? It's an interesting two words put together maybe level set for all of our listeners and viewers, what it means to pursue and become passion struck. Yeah, I'm gonna start it this way. Uh, Sharon Salzberg has this quote that there's no commodity we can take with us. There's only our lives where we live them wisely or whether we live them in ignorance. And this is everything. And so to me, I was trying to figure out, Scott, like what creates the 5% that people like Robin Sharma talks about or the people who 10X their lives. And so about seven, I guess it's been nine years now, uh, given the publication of the book, I started researching what I thought were vanguards. And it turns out I ended up looking at about 750 leaders, everything from CEOs to astronauts, actors and actresses, professional athletes. And 
I wanted to figure out what separated this 5% from the rest of us. What makes them pursue this life that Sharon talks about where we can live our lives as our ideal self. And I happened to be talking to Keith Crotch, who you might've had on this program, who was the former founder of Ariba, CEO and chairman of DocuSign, former assistant secretary of state. And I was talking to him about people think that these people who are in the 5% uh, just get there magically. And they don't understand that just like the rest of us, at some point in their life, they were stuck and they figured out how to break through. And they end up having this enduring passion that just engulfs everything about them to solve a problem that they are uniquely put on earth to solve. And they're willing to pursue it with everything. They're willing to take financial risk, reputation risk. And Keith looks at me and he goes, John, I think what you're describing is someone who goes from being stuck to passion struck. And the light bulb, Scott, just went off. And when I went to GoDaddy, I could not believe that the domain was available. And uh, the rest is history. You know, after, gosh, 350 plus interviews on this podcast, I'll tell you, I'm confused. Not by you, but I'm confused. Because for everyone we have that talks about 10x, your input, whether it be Grant Cardone or Ed Milet, we have someone that says, no, 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 no. Life is all about intentionality, joy, peace, and calm. We have people that talk about uh, you know, uh, the, the power of introspection and relationships and joy. Others that say, life is short. Go out there and crush it and change as many lives as you can. My point is, after all these interviews, one, one common theme is an emerging consensus around living your life with intention. I, I read books that contradict themselves every day of the week, right? Meaning one person says one thing, another says, no, go this direction. But a common theme that I hear from a lot of people is this idea of living your life with intention. And I'm not sure that most people, including me, really know what that means. I mean, intellectually I do, but in terms of your day, where you spend your time, where you dedicate your passion, going all in. Can you maybe give us a bit of a primer on what it means to live your life with intention in a modern practical world where people are often partnered or married, they have financial problems, they have either raising children, they may have caregiving duties for their parents, they are being disrupted by the industry or inflation or their employer. It's hard to live your life with intention. It's easy to write about it. It's hard to live it. What advice would you give to everyone listening and watching about some practical steps today they could take to live their life with more intention? Yeah, thank you for setting it up like that. I think it's good to expand upon where I originally got this whole concept for the book. And it came from a friend and mentor of mine, Angela Duckworth, and her great book, Grit, really talks about the power of passion and perseverance, the two things that make up grit. And I love that as a foundation for what I think equates to success, whether it's uh, the monetary success part of the equation or it's the personal fulfillment side of the equation. But her book starts out by studying cadets at West Point. And given I'm an Able Academy grad, I have firsthand experience in this area. And the research really pointed to 
those two characteristics of character were the two things that she and the scientists who worked on this saw as the keys for cadets at West Point first getting through their plebe summer and then ultimately graduating. And I looked at it with my own eyes, and those two things were absolutely critical. But I found that there's a missing dimension to pursuing the self-realization that we all aspire to. And a great example of this happened when I was at the Naval Academy. While I was there, I got elected to being one of the officers on the Brigade Honor Committee, um, high honor at, at those schools. But it just so happened that my year, we unfortunately had to oversee the largest cheating scandal that ever happened at the institution, something that ended up implicating probably between a third and a half of the class uh, right underneath mine. And what that showed me is that you can have all the passion and perseverance that you want in life, but if you're not intentionally aligning your actions, your decisions with your long-term ambitions or goals and aspirations, then what happened to them is going to happen to you in your life. It's going to lead you astray to where you're wanting to go. And so to me, when you are intentional, it's about how you are making the micro choices, these micro decisions that I talk about in the book that make up your life. They are, it is these myriad of decisions that if you're intentional about them, either will lead to this positive tsunami of greatness in your life, or if you're unintentional about them, will lead you to a valley of despair because you'll find out years later that they're culminating in a life of mediocrity that does not align with those aspirations or that ambition. And so when I think of intentionality, it's that daily choice that you're making in these micro moments, these decisions that carry us forward make all the difference in who we become. In your book, you write, becoming passion struck isn't a destination, it's the never ending pursuit of harnessing all that you are in service of realizing your best self so that you can elevate the bar for the rest of humanity. It is the journey to self-realization through passion, perseverance, and intentionality. Further, you write, essentially, those who are passion-struck are so fervent about their calling that they have the grit and intentionality to pursue it to the ends of the earth and fulfill their purpose, even if it means potential financial, reputation, or career peril. And those who are passion-struck address the novel problems impacting society. They intentionally align their values with what brings them bliss. A little aspirational, but you have so many great stories in the book where you talk about, John, people that did just this. You start with John, or, uh, Mark Benioff, right, the CEO and founder of Salesforce. For those who may not know his story, would you maybe take some time and walk through Mark's start at Salesforce, or I think even maybe even before, um, sorry, Oracle, and talk about what was his guiding force is a great example of being passion struck. Yeah, so Mark has been a friend of mine now for well over two decades. I, I've known Keith Crotch a little bit longer, but the two of them are both up there. And I originally met Mark when I was at Lowe's and he was at uh, um, Oracle at the time. 
And what people don't know about his backstory is many people pegged him when he was at Oracle as potential successor over time to become the CEO there. He was on a rocket ship to the top and kind of out of nowhere, he went to Larry and he said, um, I want a sabbatical and I want to think about what I'm doing with my life. And he ended up getting really deeply involved in mindfulness and just started to think about where he was in his career and found that it wasn't really that spark that was making him feel like he was coming alive. And I mean, as he tells the story, he happened to be swimming one day with dolphins and an epiphany hit him, which was that the world that we were living in at that time, those of us in technology organizations of on-premise software wasn't the path forward. And he saw this vision appear where it was really cloud computing was going to be the future. And when I got reunited with Mark, I was at Dell. Um, it turns out he and Michael Dell are very close friends. And he was going around the world at this point uh, because it was very much a nascent thing. And he was trying to prophesize to people globally about the power of computing and doing it in the cloud. And I, before or since, have never met someone in my life who was so drawn to an inner calling that he did everything that I talk about in Passion Struck. He put himself out there like no one I've ever seen before. And I got to do speeches with them in Europe and in Asia and the United States and on the Dreamforce stage. And sometimes it was just a group of three or four CIOs or CEOs, sometimes it was in front of tens of thousands of people, but he never deterred from his message. He never deterred from this passion that he had inside and what he thought this could become. And I think it's a great example of someone who did the steps that I outline in the book, ended up crafting this life through this uniqueness that he found in solving a problem that he felt called to solve and completely reinvented himself in the process of, of creating it and now to becoming the largest software as a service company in the world. So a great illustration. And uh, that's why I opened up the whole book with him because he's had such a profound impact to me on uh, how I have viewed my own career and that of others. John, we hear this phrase reinvention a lot, whether it's about organizations, states, brands, destinations, entertainment centers, a lot of organizations, institutions reinvent themselves. And you argue that it's uh, uh, very applicable to individuals. In fact, you write in the book, quote, knowledge is learning something new every day. Wisdom is letting go of something new every day. And further, you write, this simple but powerful statement reminds us that true wisdom extends beyond accumulating knowledge. While learning and acquiring new information is important, it is equally vital to cultivate the ability to let go of outdated beliefs, perspectives, and habits. Wisdom emerges from the deliberate process of shedding what no longer serves us creating space for personal growth and transformation. Could you give us a couple of examples of when you have had to let go of an outdated belief system, skill set, mindset, experience, because it was holding you back from living 
a life of being passion-struck or an intentionality? Because I think a lot of people hear these phrases but don't know, okay, so what should I let go of? It seems to have served me well, protected me from this type of person or that scenario. Give us a bit of a roadmap in your own life of when you've let go from something and it accelerated you towards personal growth and becoming more intentional. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And I'm glad you brought up wisdom. I just want to start there because underpinning everything that I talk about in the book is something called the passion struck model. And it goes over mindset shifts, behavior shifts, and then deliberate action you take to put the model together. But underneath all of that, I talk about the, the four stoic virtues of which wisdom is one of them. And it really aligns with what you're talking about because wisdom, if you think about it, shapes our mindset and enables us to understand and judge and allows us to navigate ever-changing waters of life with clarity and purpose. And I guess a good example of this that happened to me was when I was at Lowe's, um, I was considered to be one of the high performers. I know you have a lot of chief human resource officers who listen to this, but I was in that top right-hand quadrant and slated as uh, an executive who had the potential to be in the C-suite someday. And they brought in Corn Ferry to do a deep analysis on us. And it was done by a number of clinical psychologists. And we went through this whole testing process that they put us through. And I remember having this conversation with the head psychologist uh, in an exit interview. And she said, John, your career has gone like a meteor. You, you have all these incredible talents. But paraphrasing Marshall Goldsmith, she said, what got you here isn't going to get you to where you want to go in life. And I have to tell you, Scott, at the time she said it, and I was pretty ticked off because everything was going great in my career. I thought I was doing the right things. But she saw something in me that was a weakness. And that was I was leading too much from, I guess, the essence of ego and I wasn't humble enough in my leadership style. I wasn't empathetic enough in how I was approaching my subordinates, peers, and even superiors. And it probably took me three or four years from that point to really grasp what she was saying, to take that inside and to make some fundamental changes in how I approached leadership. But I think that is a good example of how through that experience, I had to completely reinvent that component of how I was showing up in the world. Okay, that is my worst nightmare. Um, being a high potential into the C-suite and having Corn Ferry give a psychologist to me to assess my skills, that would not have gone well. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. I think it's very profound to think about having the maturity, the wisdom, the insightfulness to say, hey, what got me here won't take me there. What outdated beliefs that served me very well at this phase of my life as a spouse, someone dating early in my career, now too as a different person in my relationship with my wife, as a parent of three preteen and teen boys, as an entrepreneur who needs to lead but not as a leader in a large company anymore. Uh, I think it's that idea of all the ideas in your book that's had the most profound impact on me, 
Because I think a lot of us live our lives by this adage, which is many of us say, well, I have 30 years of experience, when the fact is you have one year often repeated 29 times. We tend to stay in our safe lanes and kind of triple down on the things we feel have worked for us, when in fact we all know what got us here won't take us there. John, for those who buy the book or listen to the book on audio, you have a framework called the Passion Struck Framework, the 12 steps to unlocking an intentional life. Six of them are about mindset shifts, and six of them are about behavior shifts, behavior changes. And you, you, you call them by some interesting names. I think it makes for a very engaging reading. I'm going to run through them very quickly and then ask you to pick out maybe one from the mindset shift column and one from the behavior shift column and go deeper. The first six of becoming passion struck are mission angler, brand reinventor, mosquito auditor, fear confronter, perspective harnesser, and action creator. Let's stop there for a moment. Those are the six mindset shifts, or as Dr. Covey, our co-founder, would have said, paradigm shifts. Pick one of those. They're all so interestingly named and teach us. Thank you for that. So the one I'm going to pick is the Mosquito Auditor, uh, because I'm sure once people hear there's these names, that's one that they're going to be drawn to. But I got this because I was thinking, as you go through the steps that I lay out, the Mission Angler is really all about life crafting. It's crafting a life that is to becoming our ideal self, to becoming passion struck. And then we covered the brand reinventor, which is really once you start going down that path, you've got to constantly reinvent yourself. Well, what typically happens on your path then? As you're starting to show up differently in the world, you're typically starting to get some pushback from the influences that are part of your life, whether that's the environment that you put yourself in or the people who influence you. And it got me thinking of this whole behavior science that Jonah Berger talks about around invisible influence. And I happened to be on a walk uh, with my dog and was thinking about this topic and how I wanted to approach writing this chapter. And a radio announcer came on and said to the audience, what is the most dangerous animal on the planet? And people started calling in, and the answers they were giving were the same things I was thinking about. Oh, is it a shark, or is it a snake, or the jellyfish that they have down in Australia, or, or something else? And we weren't remotely close. It turns out that a mosquito kills more people in a year than all the sharks together will in 100 years. And yet, when we think about mosquitoes, we think that they're harmless. We think that they're these pesky things that the majority of the time are invisible to us, or even if they are visible, it's typically a buzzing that we hear and we don't even recognize their presence until they sting us. And it got me thinking that the same thing applies to human mosquitoes that permeate our inner circles and the environments that encompass our lives. And so I really went throughout this chapter defining what it means to be a human mosquito. And so I came up with there are more than this, but I thought a good way to get started in this was to come up with three of them. And I termed them the bloodsucker, the invisible suffocator, and the PETA. So to break those down just a little bit more, the bloodsucker you can think of is 
as Terry Cole talks about in her books, as being a boundary destroyer. These are people who want to draw every single last piece of blood that they can out of you. They ignore your professional and your personal boundaries. They make demands of your time. They question your decisions. They give you unsolicited advice, and it leaves you feeling, at the end of the day, undermined and disrespected. Invisible suffocator are those people who you encounter who have this negative outlook. They're the pessimists who often engage in constant complaining. They're that aunt or uncle who we all have met at our family holiday meals who you talk about this great life opportunity that you have and all they can share with you are the negatives that are going to be impacting you to achieve it. They're the ones who destroy the morale in teams um, that we all have at work, etc. And then there's the PETA, which some people call this the piece of work. I like to call it the pain in the ass. And these are those people in our lives who thrive on drama and conflict. They're the type of person who instigates gossip. They create tension and discomfort in our personal lives and in professional settings. So those are the three mosquitoes, Scott. And, and what I encourage people to do is approach this almost as if you were playing archery and you're shooting at a target. And I know there's the cliche that the five people around us influence us the most. So just do a simple exercise and just do the first three layers of an archery target and put five people in each bucket and see if any of them amount to one of these mosquitoes that I talk about. And if so, it's a great result because you now have identified them in your life and you can now do something about this toxic influence. Great visual. By the way, I'm a raving fan of Terry Cole. We've had her on our podcast. I absorb everything Terry Cole writes. Let's, in our remaining time, pivot beyond what are the six mindset shifts to become a passion-struck individual and talk about the six intentional behavior shifts. You call them anxiety optimizer, originality embracer, boundary magnifier, outbound inspirer, gardener leader, and conscience, conscious engager. Pick one of those and riff on it, John. Well, you know I have to go with the conscious engager since it includes an aspect of your founder's teachings. <laughs> so I wrote this chapter and it was maybe the last one I actually added to the book. And the reason I decided to, to put this one last is because I think it has one of the most important lessons for leaders today. In, the, in this chapter, I give the analogy of a pinball. And we often hear today all around us that people are living their life on autopilot. And as I started to think about that analogy, while it's true that some of, so many of us are just going through the motions in life, I don't think it's the right analogy to how the vast majority of people are approaching life. Because even if you're on autopilot, you still are putting that plane in the direction that you want it to go. You're still typically aspiring to be something. And Although that's true for a lot of us, I think a vast majority of people today are living their life as if they are a pinball. And it's a complete, unintentional, apathetic way to approach life. 
because if you think about the game of pinball, what it really is about is a whole bunch of micro games that make up the game, all with the focus of trying to distract you from playing the game so that the ball goes down the gutter and you keep putting more quarters in it. And I think it's a great analogy to our life because so many of us are so distracted by everything that's going on in our life that we're not paying attention to the simple things, to being mindful, to introspecting, to doing those things that require intentional focus. And the thing that I like to talk about here is, um, although I, I talk about it in this light of Stephen Covey, I first heard about this really um, through the preaching that a minister did at my church. And he gave this great homily one day on the main thing about the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And I, I mean, I laughed the first time I heard it, but he is so right. So many of us lose focus on the main thing because we get so distracted by the other things that are happening in our life. Yet, if you really want to accomplish and aspire to be your ideal self in any shape or form, you have to consciously engage on being intentional about where you're putting your focus and ensuring that it is on the main things in your life. And it's not on the distractions that are keeping you away from these main things that we have, your relationships, your long-term ambitions and goals, your health and wellness, your emotional stability, these main things that really make the difference at the end of life to being passion struck or finding ourselves stuck. So that's really what that whole chapter is about. John, for those who actually are watching this podcast or have seen us on video, you know our set is comprised of literally hundreds of books, all nonfiction, and the majority of which we have interviewed their authors. And so I've learned a few things about how to architecture a book, having written seven myself. And as a literary agent, I know the different types of, of structures books have and how to read them to take out the nuggets. Your book is really interesting. This is not a book you can read simultaneously, in my opinion, with five other books, like a lot of us do. Your book is not the kind of book typically coming out of, of corporate America where the author had you know 30,000 words, but the publisher required 60,000, which is why most people read half of the books, because the first half is good. Your book is extremely intentional. Your book is, I think, the kind of book that you put other books aside and you invest probably a couple of weeks reading your book and working through it because it is a collection of decades of wisdom from your own career, from your own ups and downs, military career, entrepreneur career as an author and a consultant, practice leader. You've interviewed people. You obviously yourself are a voracious reader because of all of the insight you brought together in wisdom. I encourage people to pick up a copy of Passion Struck and then move all the books aside for a week or two while you take some deliberate time to invest in this. The title is Passion Struck, 12 Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life. John Miles, thanks for joining us. Man, Scott, what a way to end this on. And I so thank you for doing your research on this book and for phrasing it in that way. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for having me. There are some books you can water ski across, 
There are some books you can snorkel in. I feel like your book is more of a scuba diving book, metaphorically, and so I hope people take my advice and dig into it. John, again, thanks for your time. We appreciate you. We'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.